Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Okay, Genesis 28, this is Jacob's ladder. We pick it up at verse 1. Genesis 28, verse 1. So Isaac, his name means laughter, called Jacob, Genesis 28, 1, and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Now, Isaac is the dad, and we know that dad thought he was on his deathbed. Last time we were together, dad thought he was dying, and when you think you're dying, your priorities change. When you think, uh, for some of you, if you've had a near-death experience, if you've had a close call, if you've had a brush with death, your life changes. Because you realize, you know what? We're all really a heartbeat away. The glass can crash. Our hearts can stop. We don't have guarantees. And Isaac thought he was on his deathbed, but when we looked at actually the biblical data and we tried to measure you know, his lifespan and everything, we realized that he probably had 40 plus years more to live. But he thought he was on his deathbed. And so when he thought he was on his deathbed, he did something that you know, you could say, well, maybe the motivation was right, but what he did was wrong. He tried to bless the wrong son. He already knew the prophecy. He already knew that the younger would be served by the older. Jacob, even though he was the second born of the twins, was actually the one that was selected by God. But Isaac was fighting that plan. And Isaac got what we might call in uh, modern language, he got duped. He got duped by his wife. He got deceived by his wife in cahoots with his younger son, and they stole the blessing. And he gave the blessing to Jacob. And once he gave that blessing, he realized it couldn't be undone. He noted or he, he, he realized that it was God's providential hand. God was uh, overseeing or even superseding what he planned to do. And just so we all realize this, and I think we do, when our plans try to battle God's plans, ultimately God's plans always win out. Amen? Amen. You can learn that the easy way or the hard way. You're going to find a family tonight that learns it the hard way. Now, Isaac is an older man, and he's starting to get it. So notice in verse 1 of chapter 28, he's blessing the right son now. He blesses Jacob to give a blessing in the patriarchal sense. When, when the, these Bible characters give a blessing, this is a very significant moment. This is almost like maybe you could say a speech that you would give at a wedding. It's, it's a very formal ceremony, but it's even deeper than that because even speeches that we give at weddings or blessings that we might give, they don't seem to carry the same weight that they did back in these days. When you give a formal blessing, it carried a great weight. And I'll just say to you, those of you who are a little bit older and you have access to children and grandchildren, it's good to speak blessings into their life. It's good to even charge them to do the right thing. Notice that Isaac in verse one, he called Jacob, he blessed him, but he also charged him. And the charge was very clear. He said, please do not marry a wife from the people of Canaan. This would be like us, like a older Christian saying to a younger Christian in a family, please do not marry an unbeliever. Please don't do that. But he's cute. I know. There's a lot of cute people around. But make sure that he is a believer. And I would even say make sure he's a strong believer because then he's going to have, hopefully, the values that you care about. 
So back at the end of uh, chapter 27, Rebecca, as we move from Isaac, Isaac's starting to get it. He's blessing the right kid, and that's good, and that's a change from what he tried to do. But Rebecca's been running around, and uh, she's, she's a pretty busy lady. So everybody look at verse 41 of chapter 27. Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which the father, his father had blessed him, 41. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, I don't know how she found out, maybe by a servant, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you. He's making himself feel better with this thought. I'm going to kill him. Now, if that's a consoling thought to some of you, you may want to seek out some counseling. All right? I'll feel better when I deal with him. And maybe deep in Esau's mind, because you know Esau was a carnal man. He, we see in Hebrews 12, he was a sinful man. He didn't really care about spiritual things. Maybe Esau was thinking, this is the way I'll get my birthright and blessing back. If he's dead, he can't have the blessing anymore. But you know what? That's not going to work either. But Esau bore a grudge. And in Hebrews 12, it's described as a root of bitterness that can spring up and defile many, many people. And Esau carried that grudge, and he consoled himself. And the Hebrew word for console is nakam, and it means to breathe strongly. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> Jacob. Jacob. I'm going to kill him. Now, my mom used to do this when my sister and I were in church. We called it the Italian vein. Here's how the Italian vein works. We'd be in the Roman Catholic church when we were little, and we all sat in the church, even when we were little kids, with our mom. And our mom faithfully took, took us there. Dad was missing in action. And so she'd sit between me and my sister. My sister's about, uh, I don't know, 17, 18 months older, 19 months older. I remind her of that constantly, you know? <laughs> You're older, and you always will be. Anyway, so when we were in church, we'd start grabbing at each other, and, we, and my mother's mouth would barely even move, and it'd be something like this. Just the vein would speak. When we get home, I'm going to kill you. So anyway, curses were spoken in the church and <laughs> from my mother to us. Just kidding. Anyway. So she would console herself. <laughs> well, this is, what, this is what Esau was doing. He was making himself feel better with the thought that he could kill Jacob. And I know this is something that most siblings don't feel towards other siblings. No threats are given in households represented here tonight, I'm sure. It was a joke. Anyway. But Rebecca's running around, so she shares the plan. She says, look, he's planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, 43, chapter 27, obey my voice, arise and flee to Haran to my brother Laban and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides. Now, mom, mom says a few days, but it, it's not going to be a few days. It, it's going to be many, many, many days. In fact, when Jacob travels to Haran, Haran from where he's at right now is 500 miles away. No motor scooters, no motorized skateboards. You're going on horseback, donkey, or you're hoofing it with your own feet. 
And the biblical record seems to indicate that mom never saw Jacob again. She dies in chapter 35. We have no record that she ever saw him again. Here's a thought. Rebecca's, you know, she's been running around and she's been, she's been doing things and, and you, we could weigh her motives in a number of different uh, ways, but here's the thing. Sin will always cost you more than you think it will. Oh, in a couple of days, it'll be cool. In a couple of days, this will bro- blow over. No, it won't. It didn't. Now, Esau held the grudge for a long time and finally, these two brothers, and we'll find this later in Genesis, they do reconcile. And it's a beautiful scene later in the book. But for mom, she was in the background manipulating everything. And, you know, maybe she thought she was doing it for noble reasons, but there's a lack of faith here. And sin will cost you more than you think it will cost you. And Jacob's been on board, of course, with the whole thing. And uh, he's going to flee. Now, Rebecca has to, has to have a way to convince Isaac to send away Jacob. Why would dad do that? Why would he let him go? Well, here's what she says. So she says, notice, until 45, 27, until your brother's anger against you subsides and he forgets what you did to him, then I shall send and get you from there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? But in fact, that, the very thing that she didn't want to happen, happened. She was bereaved with both of them. Jacob left. He was gone for 20 years. She dies in the meantime. And Esau left and went and lived in the area of Edom. And so they were both gone. She lost them both. Everything she was trying to avoid with her own background manipulation happened anyway. And that's when we have to be careful for us control freaks. Can I get a witness tonight? Anybody anybody want to confess? Control freaks, right? We want to control everything, and sometimes in our efforts to do so, I know a lot of you did not confess, because I know there's many more of you (laughs) in here tonight. But anyway, in her effort to do that, what she feared would happen, happened. And Rebecca said to Isaac, here's her excuse for sending Jacob away, 46. She said, I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth, these Canaanite women that Esau married. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? She says, man, this is, I'm gonna just be depressed. I don't even know why I should live. If he marries a, one of these I know mother, mother-in-laws and daughter-in-laws is tough enough, but these are Canaanite women, and it's just not good. And so this is enough for Isaac. He says, you know, in fact, yeah, this is a problem. So in chapter 28, verse 1, that's why Isaac is calling Jacob. He's blessing him. He's charging him, and then he's sending him off. So look at 28.2. He says, arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, And from there, take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban. Laban is the uncle, your mother's brother. So Jacob gets this call, and now he really has no choice but to depart. He's stolen the birthright, and he's stolen the blessing, and now he has to leave home. And we don't always put together the consequences of our actions, and now he's stuck. Mom's saying, you need to go because your brother wants to kill you. Dad's saying, you need to go because you need to find a wife from the right people group. And this is important because remember, Jacob will become the line through which who comes? Messiah. And so there's a protection of the messianic line. And overarching the whole thing the whole time is God. 
God weaves a tapestry even when we're messing everything up. He's so majestic in his attributes, he can even take all the things that we do and work it together for good. And off to Uncle Laban, Jacob will go. And Jacob is going to discover, if you think about the players, you got Esau, carnal man. You got Isaac, he's starting to to realize God's plan. You got Jacob, the conniver, who's paying some consequences. And he's now gonna go to Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban is going to do to Jacob worse than he did to his brother. Uncle Laban is going to be a total deceiver. In fact, uh, Jacob's going to have to work, what, 14 years for the bride that he really wants. He wants to marry Rachel. He gets duped into marrying Leah on the wedding night. Dad does the old switcheroo, which had to be a shock the next morning. Who are you? (laughs) What just happened here? And then he has to work another seven years for her. And in Uncle Laban, Jacob, everybody with me, Jacob will see himself in his uncle. And sometimes what God allows us to do, this is a practical point, is he allows us to encounter people who allow us to see ourselves in a mirror before us. And and we get around these people, and they're a lot like us, and that's usually why they annoy us a lot. It's going to be an honest evening. (laughs) right? And then it clicks with us. Oh, my goodness, that person's a lot like me. What's happening here? This is called God's poetic justice. The Bible says if you live by the sword, you will what? Die by the sword. If you live by lies, you will be lied to. If you're a deceiver, you will end up being deceived. This is not karma. Okay, students of the Bible, this is called sowing and reaping. This is God's poetic justice. This is how it works. And so this is also how God shapes a man or a woman. We get a close-up look at our own faults, and this is usually how we change. And Jacob, one of the players in our drama, is going to learn through the school of hard knocks. And so dad says to Jacob, you got the players, Rebecca's the other one that's been running around, and she's going to pay a higher price. And he says, uh, dad to son now, may God Almighty, verse 3, that's El Shaddai, if you're curious, There's only the second use that I know of in Genesis of El Shaddai. It's the translation of God Almighty. Just take El is God and Almighty is Shaddai. So you got God Almighty. Bless you, here's dad's blessing, and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you become a company of peoples. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham. Abraham is Isaac's dad. To you and to your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and Esau. So all the players are named here. This is going to be you know, within the, the proper lines and so forth, and off he goes to travel, and I think this is probably something like a three-week journey. Now, Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob. Remember, the tent walls are thin, so I don't know if he's back behind one of the curtains huffing and puffing, but Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. In other words, don't do what Esau did, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father, Isaac. He called him in and said, take a hike. No, I just added that. Just kidding. But Esau went to Ishmael, notice, and married besides the wives that he had. This is, this is 
just write in your Bible, dumb. This is dumb. He's just going to add another problem to the problem. He says, oh, it appears that dad's not happy with my wives, as though he didn't already know that. As, all, as, as though he didn't already know that he was not supposed to marry Canaanite women. He knew the problems in the household. He probably had those f- hard family discussions at the dinner table. Can you tell your wife to please use a fork? You know, that kind of stuff. He knew there were problems. But still, he goes and he compounds the problem by marrying an Ishmaelite. And that can't please dad because Ishmael is the brother who used to harass dad when he was a little kid. Isaac's still in counseling over Ishmael. (laughs) And and now he goes and marries an Ishmaelite woman thinking he's going to make the problem better. Sometimes when we're trying to solve a problem and, and again, we're doing it in the flesh instead of the spirit, we make it worse. So Esau went to Ishmael. He married besides the wives that he had. He adds a third here, Mahalath the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebioth. And so, again, another lesson about doing things the wrong way. And Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And uh, Jacob now, with you know, the family in the rearview mirror, the breathing threats of brother, he moves on to this new location. And he came, verse 11, to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. Now, he had gone a distance and the sun was going down. And I'm assuming at this point that Jacob is traveling alone. We're not told that there's a caravan. I don't know if he has any other people with him. I don't know if he has a servant with him. I don't know if he's completely solo. But Jacob's making his way and the sun's going down and he decides to set up camp. And as he decides to set up camp, it's obvious he doesn't have much because he's using a rock pillow. Now, I have problems with pillows. Anybody out there have problems with pillows? I tend to be a uh, stomach sleeper. I don't know what it is. It must go back to crib days and whatever, but I haven't tried to figure it out. But anyway, I flip over, and all the time I'm tweaking my neck. And so Jacob uses... I don't understand this. He must have been really tired. He used a rock as a pillow. He started a company later. It was called rockpillow.com. Anyway. And he was literally between a rock and a hard place. Here's why. Brother wants to kill him. He may be traveling all alone, He doesn't know what is in the future for him, and he's got a rock for a pillow. That's a bad week. And here he is. He puts this thing under his head, and he lays down at this place, and the sun goes down. What do you think was on Jacob's heart and mind when he tried to sleep that night? He may have been tired. He may have been poured out. Where do you think his thoughts might circulate? Maybe back to mom and dad? Maybe he replayed the scene of how he duped his brother. Maybe he's thinking back to, you know, the blessing of his dad. Maybe he's thinking about, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen to me. I don't know if I'm ever going to see them again. And notice what happens. And he had a dream, verse 12. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God on this ladder, the, the Hebrew word for ladder here is sulam. You can spell it 
S-U-L-L-A-M in English or C-U-L-L-A-M. It's, this is the only time this word is used in the Bible. And so scholars are not completely sure, but they think it means something like a staircase. They even think the word in Hebrew has the implications of a highway. And when Jacob goes to sleep that night, he has a dream. And we do know that God does speak in dreams. You may ask why. Well, let's be careful. Let me backtrack for a second. Um, God can and does speak in dreams. This is prevalent in the Old Testament. It, it appears in the New Testament. But he doesn't always. And your dreams don't always mean really anything significant. They can, but I'd be extremely careful with dreams. Most of the time, you just dream about what's been the last thing on your mind, especially if you combined it with a piece of pepperoni pizza. Then you'll have weird dreams, and they, many times they mean nothing. I'd be very careful with dreams, but sometimes God does speak to people in dreams, and you might ask why, because most of the time we're not listening when we're awake. Amen? Mm, I don't know. That's kind of weak, but... So he has a dream, and he sees this ladder, and this ladder is kind of a freaky thing because this ladder has angels ascending and descending on the ladder. It's almost like an angelic escalator. Up and down they go, down and up they go. And do you know that the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 22, that there are myriads of angels, and the language describing angels in the New Testament is there's probably billions of them. And do you know that we get in Genesis 28 an insight into the unseen realm, which, you know, the curtain is pulled back very rarely, but Jacob gets a vision of the reality of how this works and that God is constantly dispatching angels and they're coming down and going up constantly. Angels are ministering spirits, Hebrews 1.14. They come to minister to those who will what? Inherit salvation. Jacob is a patriarch. Israel's going to come from the line of Jacob. Multiple angels are keeping a close eye on this dude. I don't know why they didn't bring him a soft pillow. That's a question I have. But anyway, it's for another time. A ladder, angels up and down, down and up, and all of a sudden we get an insight that heaven, please hear me well, is much more connected with this planet than we think. God is involved in people's lives. God is involved in your life. And you say, well, then why am I sleeping on a rock pillow? <laughs> I don't know. I've got questions like that too. But Jacob is being watched by God because God has a plan for Jacob. And brothers and sisters, God has a plan for you. And angels sometimes are involved in that plan. And so here's a ladder laden with angels. Psalm 103, verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Man, get this picture. God has billions of angels that he instructs constantly, and they descend and ascend and descend and ascend, and plus, he still cares about you. That's pretty cool. Because he doesn't have to. Do you know that when we get questions about angels and the study of angels, do you know that the evidence is that the only being that's been made in the image of God is us as humans, not even angels? That is incredible. 
angels have come to help us. I don't know if any of you have angel stories. I've got one in particular. I don't know if it was an angel. I like to think it was an angel. We're told that some people have entertained angels, what? Unaware. Abraham, for example. We know that the servant um, in 2 Kings had his eyes opened and he saw this huge army and chariots of fire and there are more for us than there are for them, 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. And plus with this incredible uh, dream that he had, which is really a vision or what we call a theophany, it's God appearing in the dream. Behold, the Lord, look at verse 13, stood above it. That is, God was above the ladder or the staircase. Greetings, listening family. We are here in Genesis chapter 28, touching upon a subject that is interesting. Would you please tell us and share with us, give us some detail about a subject called Jacob's Ladder. In chapter 28, it's really intriguing that uh, Jacob has a dream, and in that dream, he does see a ladder. This is verse 12. It's a ladder set on earth with its top reaching to heaven, and there's angels of God which are ascending and descending on it. And... Uh, you know, when you start to think about this this dream, Oscar, that uh, Jacob has, he's it's at a pivotal point in his life, and he's gonna uh, there's gonna be promises that are reiterated to him by God right in this section. Uh, the Lord is above it, and he he speaks a promise over over Jacob. But um, I want to I just want to think about the ladder for a second, and you know, this ladder does come up. Uh, there's an idea of the ladder when Jesus is interacting in, in John's gospel. And uh, he says, you'll say angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. And he identifies himself with Jacob's ladder. And I believe that there's ironclad evidence here, Oscar, that Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Uh, he is the way uh, between earth and heaven. He is uh, the way to God. Uh, he is, as he puts it in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And way back in the book of Genesis, we can see this idea of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that he is the one singular way to God. When we say stuff like that, Oscar, we're making what many in the world believe is a very exclusive claim, and they're right, it is. But it's not a claim that we're really making. It's a claim that the one we follow made. And I think this is a key distinction for uh, anyone who's a Christian out there and has friends or family that are saying, boy, you're a real, real narrow, you know, we hear it narrow, bigoted, uh, dot, dot, dot. Um, but it's really not something that we're saying as much as we're saying this is what Jesus said. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so we come down to this place, Oscar, where there's one God and one mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus. And I think the latter is showing us a picture of this mediation, this uh mediator work of Christ, that he is the go-between between heaven and earth. He's the one that gives us access. You know, Led Zeppelin spoke about a stairway to heaven, right? Mm -hmm. But this is the ultimate stairway to heaven. This is what it's all about. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.